Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have on the line here Will and Mick from World of Martial Arts magazine. Hello, Hi, kids. Hi, Kit. How you doing? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Very good. Hope it's not too much of an early morning start for you. <laughs> It was a bit, but no, it was uh, I was out late last night. I had a poker tournament, so but, uh, I wanted a little bit more sleep. Oh, so How did you do in the poker tournament? Did you come out ahead or? I won money. It was a cash tournament. I won money, but I should have won a lot more. I lost a big hand. I think I was up. Oh, I'm turning some arm off. So, you, so you're not over in LA getting ready for another another film? Was the first question. Not- there's not a film here at the moment. There's a short film I've got to do. Uh, I've got two tournaments here, one in um, Las Vegas next month and then one in Houston the weekend after. And there's another one in September. But I'm doing a lot of acting classes and um, improv classes here at the moment. Right. Where, where, were, you, uh, where were you playing poker? Well, it was at the Hollywood... The Hollywood Ball Casino, I think it's called. It's like a small place in Inglewood near the airport. And, um, yeah, I'd never been there before, but my buddy who plays a lot, he suggested it. Because we usually have – we usually play about three games a week. And it's a group of us. But uh, I want to play more, so I try and find somewhere else I can play. (laughs) Before we get started, you got me interested. I was just in Vegas uh, two weeks ago. But I, 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 went with the, I went with the wife. So it was like yeah. loads of gamblers. And I'm doing Cirque du Soleil and um, Donnie and Marie. So it was a, it was a different, different sort of Vegas for me to most people. But uh, yeah. there, there's some serious, like it, it, it truly is, you know, built on sand, $5 lobster and broken dreams in Vegas, man. There's some bad looking guys there, right? You, did, you see yeah. any, uh, did you see anybody crying last night? Oh man, there's so many sad and upset people. Like uh, I was sitting right next to a guy that was uh, 
mad the whole time and he just he wouldn't hit his card so he'd throw his chips in and then get in an argument with a dealer and there was someone else on the other side that was getting frustrated and they just I think he was he was mad at me because I hit two flushes and uh, I'm just laughing the whole time like, this guy is so stupid man like why would you why would you create a lifestyle around something that brings you so much frustration like I understand there's going to be certain times where you get like bad beat where you're like you, your odds are, you know, ninety-seven percent favorite to win, and then you lose, and then you think, oh, yeah. it's this and that. But yeah, I mean, it's what you're there for. You've got to accept that. So I don't know. It's, there's a lot of people that have very unhealthy lifestyles there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah. You know, I should actually save this for the for the interview, but I've got to ask you now. With your uh, with your uh, off kilter approach to acting, with the improv. And also your off kilter approach. We'll talk later about jujitsu. How do you go into poker where there are, there is chance and there is a lot of luck, but there is a system to a degree that you've got to follow. There's there's rules that you've got to. Work. How do you work within that framework? Well, it's pretty difficult because uh, I, I am quite new to it. I started, I think I started six months ago, and I I didn't like it the first game, and then I really enjoyed it, and I, I think. The way I look at it is so much of it is manipulation, very similar to jiu-jitsu martial arts. It's so much like of manipulation and so much of like trying to trick people that I really enjoy, like the psychological part of things, yeah. watching people and learning to try to figure out when people are lying and when people are strong. And and I think the late, like the last, the last month, really, I've started to really get better at putting people on certain like card ranges and certain cards and I've been, I've been able to guess a lot of like the hands they have so I, I kind of took it very very much like the way I started jiu-jitsu where I just wanted to I just wanted to play I don't like I didn't find much joy in sitting there and learning the mathematics behind it one because yeah. I couldn't understand it anyway so I just like like to play like to play and kind of learn through trial and error and uh and now when I study it a little bit more, I start understanding a lot more of the conceptual ideas behind poker and the mathematics behind, you know, pot bets and, you know, how many outs you have. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I really enjoy is, is the psychological part of sitting there and trying to convey a message, you know, that is false. And yeah. And trying to read people, you know, and that's, that's the part. If I can read what someone has, and regardless if they win or not, like, I really enjoy that part. And I've been able to do that a couple of times lately where I've been able to put someone on, like, you know, yeah. I, think, I think they're in Jack Ace. And then afterwards, they're like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. It, well, my, my, my two eldest sons, right, are both history teachers. And what, my eldest in particular, he's, uh, he's followed me into martial arts now, but um, he loves jujitsu, but he's a very cerebral chap. You know, he's a very intelligent individual. And he's very intelligent when it comes to poker, where I'm like, Wow, you know, as soon as I see something, but he is—he's really, really good at you know just reading people at like Jedi mind trick level shit. You know, when you're looking at it and you're going, and he—he'll just say the way he raised his eyebrow, I know I had him, and you're like, I didn't see him raise his eyebrow. So he, he just—he yeah. he just didn't—he didn't have his eye on the ball for that moment. Now, it's interesting you took up poker. Very interesting. Ah, it's cool. Yeah. Should we get? Should we? Should we do an oh, intro? Yeah. Or want to do? Will? Well, that's what I was going to lead into. That is, is are your acting lessons uh, facilitating your ability to dupe the other players, or is it? Is that just general life? Is are all these things conspiring to be uh, the same thing? 
Yeah, I definitely think the acting is a huge part in in, in the and not not even so much like the acting's helped my poker, more the poker's helped my acting in a, in a sense that mm-hmm. everything that you do on the poker table conveys a certain message. And every like you like your son said, every eyebrow movement, everything is telling something. So what I found with poker is I've become highly aware of not only what I'm doing but what my opponents are doing. And then you start seeing things. It's similar to in acting, like there's a lot of things that when you first start acting, you do, which is all really bad stuff. You know, it's just like habits. You, you just you're acting instead of being natural. And there's a lot of things in life that we do that we don't really realize, and it takes sometimes takes years to sort of figure out certain mannerisms. It could be as much as someone opening their eyes a little bit wider or something like that, and like mm. certain things convey certain messages. So I really enjoy that because I can start now to see that a lot more. And it really helps with the acting when I have a certain scene or I have a certain nervousness. You see that all the time in poker. Like there's people that are nervous, there's people that are excited. There's a lot more, there's a lot of emotional range when playing poker and stressed. So there's a lot you can kind of pull from poker into acting, I think, anyway. Yeah, who who uh, who would be your favorite actor then that you aspire yeah. that, that you would like to maybe yeah, aspire to be in that same vein, I mean. Well, there's no one that I would say, like, that's who I want to be exactly. But I, I think my favorite actors, there's a couple of them, would be uh, a combination of Daniel Day-Lewis, um, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Cool. Uh, McConaughey. Just, I was just, McConaughey. Yeah, I, I like, I think he's become a, a very... I mean, I, I, no doubt he's become an amazing actor lately. I, I think it's the character actors that I really enjoy the most. Uh, I mean, there's some there's some great actors that kind of play themselves all the time, but I think there's a lot more there's a lot more skill in becoming somebody else, and especially at a believable level. Yeah, well, when you when you said McConaughey, a lot of people don't like they they think about the Texas Buyers Club and stuff. But when he was in Dazed and Confused, did you ever see that? That was one of Link Blatter's first movies, and he plays. I, I know. You'd love him in it. No, I haven't. He he plays he plays a guy who's like 21, 22, hanging around with college kids. So he's still just cool enough to hang around, but in a year's time, he's going to be an absolute like sex pest if he stays with these kids any longer, you know. But the way he yeah. plays the part is unbelievable. And as he's just the other one as well is I like his I like his personal history. You know, you know, stripping his clothes off and playing the bongos at parties and stuff. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be famous, that's the sort of thing you should be doing. You know, uh, you know, yeah. I don't Chris Martin from Coldplay. You know what I mean? I want to I want to be well. Obviously, I don't want to be Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know what I mean? That that's taking it to the extreme. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah Dante Lewis again, man, another class act all the way through. All the way. So what are you doing in LA, LA at the moment? Cause we'll we'll talk about why we're supposed to be talking to you. But what are you doing, Should we do? Should we dive in with that? Because um, how did you get from being the BJJ superstar that you are to being in uh, being in, in movies? So I, I always loved movies. I mean, everyone loves movies. When I was a kid, my mum and dad, actually my mum, she uh, they had a video camera, her and her brothers, and she had five brothers and four sisters. And they used to always film like little comedy skits, like they do little sketches where they were news anchors and they would do funny stuff and characters and put pillows right. under their stomach and stuff. And we loved that growing up as kids. 
And so we got a camera when we were little, me and my two little brothers, and we started recording wrestling at the back. We were like, we loved WWF back then and WCW. We started yeah. recording wrestling, and then we started also doing like Star Wars stuff and filming fight scenes and started trying to do funny comedy scenes right. all the way through growing up. And I absolutely loved it, but I never thought uh, – we grew up in the country. I went to a primary school with maybe 52 kids in the whole school. So we never really thought about you know, acting as a career or even wrestling as a career. Uh, and then later on, my brother, when he was maybe 19, he went to a film school for directing. And uh, he did that. And he started pursuing directing. And then he wanted to film a short film. And he asked me, he was like uh, – would you be interested in doing that? I was like, yeah, it sounds fun. So I played like the, the bad guy in the short film and I really loved it. I, I had so much fun doing it. And then we started filming sort of smaller comedy sketches uh, on YouTube and Facebook and um, they started going pretty well. Like, people liked them and I enjoyed doing them. And then I was competing in jiu-jitsu. I went, from, I went from white belt to black belt quite quick in about four years and it was great. But it kind of, at the time, once I got to kind of like black belt level, I felt like I was as good as anyone. I just needed to have a good day to win the world championship, similar, similar to poker. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like, I felt like it was sort of limited. And I, I felt like I kind of hit a roof in, in a sense of where I could go from there. I knew that if I kept training from there, I'm like, what's going to happen is I'm bound to win a world championship. But I'm thinking, okay, is it really, like, because I won two, uh, one a blue, one a purple, got silver and brown and I hadn't won a black belt yet I've made the finals uh, the quarterfinals three years in a row but I was trying to figure out I'm like well is it going to really do anything more for me is it really going to give me anything further than what it's done and I kind of realized it's not like I do I love competing in jiu-jitsu but it's more of a self-growth thing than it is like uh, an accomplished accomplishment, uh, accomplishment thing yeah so I ended up uh, I was in out London at the time, and I, I fought in a, an event called Polaris. Yeah. And then I come back to Australia, and I thought I was so, I was a little bored of jiu-jitsu, so I just wanted to step back from jiu-jitsu for a while, and I wanted to go back and play Australian rules football. And my brother was a coach of a side, and I knew I could make some money doing that, so I went black. I played uh, five games, and on the fifth game, I was playing with both my brothers. I went to dodge somebody, like to run around them with about 10 seconds to go. And my whole knee gave way. Ouch. And I snapped my ACL, I tore my MCL, my LCL, my PCL, and I split the meniscus, the lateral meniscus. Um, so I, I knew I couldn't do much for a while. And I went to the doctor and they gave me an MRI and they told me what happened and said it was a minimum of a year recovery and it was a real bad one. So here I was, I was like, okay, I don't know how to make money right now. Uh, I can't really do much. And I didn't really want to sit there and dwell on it. I just want to try and find something that I could do that I enjoyed. So in the moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to become an actor. That's what I'm going to do. So I, I called my brother. I told him. He spoke to his uh, roommate and said, look, uh, my brother wants to get into acting. What should he do? He said, well, he should. maybe I'll speak to my, my agent and see if he is interested in taking somebody on. So he spoke to the agent. He got me a meeting. I spoke to the agent. We got along really well. He took me on. I ended up getting a, a short, a short. I, sorry, I was a, in a feature film really quickly, like a fight scene where I get killed, and then he got me a role in a series called Jack Irish that starred Guy Pearce. Yeah, I've oh, seen you know it. That? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so it. season three. Yeah, it's a great. It's a great show. Yeah, yeah it's, it's on, good. Eh? Or something. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. Great show, yeah. And, uh, so I had a small speaking role in that, and uh, I absolutely loved it. And then it I, wasn't I Neighbours then? Very... Huh? Who's that? It wasn't Neighbours. No. No, no. Or Home and Away. <laughs> because that's, you get that, and then it's a seeing your career straight away, yeah? I you've yeah. got, to give, got to give them their due, man. Guy Pearce has done well. Guy Pearce done very well. Hogue. Kylie Minogue's done yeah. well. Um, that Mark Little, that's about it. Then everyone else. Jason Donovan, it I does. don't know. Jason Donovan looks like Jason Donovan's granddad now. Have you seen how old that guy looks? <laughs> I tell you something. He needs to get back to Bondi Beach. He looks older than me. You know, he looks. I tell you what, he looks older than that Hitler that uh, uh, he was playing in your movie, man. Yeah. So anyway, carry on. I digress. So I ended up getting a, a major role in a, in a film called Iron Sky, and um, I was very lucky to get that. Uh, and then we, we shot that in Belgium in 2015, I think it was. And uh, I had like the time of my life. I, it was like the most fun I've ever had doing anything in, in, in my life. So I knew from that moment, I, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do as a career. Unfortunately, I had to like change a few things because I knew that it's going to take a few years to be able to break into film and I need to get a lot better. So I, I came back, I fixed my, I used the money I, I got in the movie to fix my knee, which took a year to recover from. Uh, it really took a lot, long, lot young. Sorry, a lot longer, but uh, it took a minimum of a year. And then I, I started building a, an online platform for coaching in, in martial arts and Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu, which went really well because it allowed me to um, to be able to make money without having to do much. In, in a sense, like I'm not, it's not worth my time and value. It's just a, it's a product that I sell. And they started selling really well, so it gave me a, a lot of like financial stability, so that I could pursue acting and then. The next step was getting over here to get my O1 so I can actually work. Because a lot of stuff I like doing is filmed over here. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the Australian films. I think they're getting better now. They're starting to do a lot more. But, I, I, like I, for example, I, I'm not a big fan of the show Neighbours or Home and Away. I, uh, I find it very <laughs> tedious myself. Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> so that was, like, the last thing I ever wanted. I, I know, like, if the opportunity would come, it would have been a good stepping stone. But I would really hate doing it. So... I preferred to like try and find a different way around there. So I wanted to move straight here and start doing it, which took a long time. And so now I'm here. I've almost got my O1 visa, which should be here between uh, you know, three weeks and uh, two months, depending on how long it takes. And I didn't, I'm just here doing acting classes, doing improv classes, and trying to get as good as I can so that the next opportunity I do have, I can be in the best possible position. I, I think a lot of actors make the mistake of, it's like they're competing in, in martial arts, but they're never training. They're just try, trying to get a fight in martial arts. Yeah. And then what will happen is they'll get a fight and get their ass kicked and then never get another fight again. Yeah, it's all in the preparation, eh? Everything's all about preparation. Um, I want to just pull you back to, uh, the, like, Iron Sky. Like, I'll tell you right now, Will sent me the link. I watched it this morning because I wanted it fresh in my brain. And there's two things. First of all, I was gutted that I missed the first one. I don't know how that got past me. That like that yeah. absolute classic. I watched that straight after. Uh, then watched what? Uh, well, when I first watched your your, your one, right? It, first of all, I thought it was amazing. It was like, um, did you know what? Did you know what you were getting into when you signed up for this? Had you seen the original? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he he sent me the script, and I, I read the script, and I was always uh, growing up. I always loved like mystery stuff. I always loved, 
what you would call like alternate history or conspiracies and stuff like that. I find it very interesting. Like I don't, I'm not like subscribe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, man. Turn off, turn off Alexa. Turn off Alexa, man. Because uh, next, don't get, don't ever talk in front of Alexa, and don't ever go on Ancestry.com because somewhere they're yeah. building a robot out of your DNA. Right now. Exactly. Okay. That'll be one bad robot. <laughs> That'll be a badass robot. Mine's not too good at the moment. Yeah, mine's been mine needs a reboot. He's turning off and turning off. <laughs> so tell us tell us about the when you when you read when you read the script. Well, I thought it was really fun. I thought it sounded like a fun adventure. Uh, I thought for sure this is like a very crazy script. And I know there's gonna be some people that are just gonna hate it, but I mean I thought it sounded like a lot of fun. I like the character. Uh, I like the chemistry between um, all three characters, especially yeah. on the script. And uh, you know, I thought it was an amazing opportunity for me. I was just super excited to you know to audition for it. So I ended up having uh, I auditioned once a video audition, and they liked that, and they sent me a bigger scene to put like it was two scenes to put together, and then I did a bigger scene, and they liked that. Then it was trying to get the um, the producer over the over the line, so the director was really happy. Right. And they originally, they, I, should have, I should mention, they originally had another guy casted for the character I took, uh, Malcolm. Um, right. But they weren't set on him. And then, and then they did, uh, then they got a hold of me and then they were happier. So I had to get the producer over the line. So we had a Skype meeting and he was just worried because I was in Australia. They were filming in Belgium and he wouldn't have to fly me forward and backwards and and I, I was very new to acting, so it was they were taking a very big risk. Um, but he ended up saying okay, and uh, I was very happy because I worked my ass off for that. I think I had five weeks to prepare for it, and I was going to the gym twice a day. I was working on an American accent almost all day because I'd never done one before. Right. And then I was that was uh, good accent, really by the way. That was good oh, accent. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. I had to try and stay in character the whole, like, not in character, but I, I used that accent the whole time while filming. Like, yeah, I never you, stopped once. That, you, know, you know, you mentioned Daniel Day-Lewis earlier. When he did Gangs of New York, he, he stayed in character from the minute he walked on. And he wouldn't even talk. He wouldn't even talk. He yeah, referred to uh, Liam Neeson as uh, Priest Vallon all the way through. But, like, you know, come on. That, that, that You can see where the, where the work went in on that. So... If you don't mind me saying, right, uh, don't mind me asking you, were you into sci-fi when you were younger? Because you, you mentioned you were into wrestling and stuff, but did you watch any science fiction? You know, not just like, yeah. like the dream stuff, but the weird stuff? Yeah, no, I loved it. I, I was a massive uh, Star Wars fan. Now, not of the original three, of the, of the next three, like the Phantom Menace and stuff like that. I absolutely loved them. And I think because I started, I'm 33, so I started with The Phantom Menace. It was very hard to go backwards in yeah. Star Wars because it went from, like, super exciting lightsaber uh, scenes to a lot more very basic lightsaber scenes. And that's what yeah. I really enjoyed when I was younger. So I loved, uh, yeah, I loved sci-fi. I loved the Terminator movies. I, uh, yeah, there's a heap of movies I, I, I really enjoy. I think my favorite type of movie was, like, Lord of the Rings, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, the reason, reason I'm asking is, right, there's a great scene in it where you have to, you, you get hit in the head by, you get hit in the head by that crazy Russian, right? 
and then you then you I don't know I I, I think you say it's an anti attack uniform or something. You know where he punches you in the in the helmet, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fully punch resistant outfit, yeah. That was the one, that was the one. And then when you stripped off and you put on your lucky shirt, right? The minute I saw it, because I'm like a, a Star Trek geek, I was like, shit, they've put a red shirt on Kit Dale. The guy's going to last for like maybe 15 minutes and then he's going to be dead. Because that's how it always works in Star Trek, right? Uh-huh. Did, you, did, you, did, you, did you realize that or did you uh, no. realize? No. No, because- I never got into Star Trek. I was a Star Wars, but I never. Oh, I, I watched the newer ones, but not the old ones. Oh, you got to watch the old ones. The old ones are great. There's there's that much subtext going on there. That yeah, you know, it's it's um, if you imagine a more subtle way of getting into Eddie Bravo's head, right? So when you watch when you watch your movie, like that is like I that's what I expect is inside of Eddie Bravo's head, you know. That, Give or give or take. Maybe there might be a few more space Nazis in in Eddie's head. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like the yeah. Star Trek's different. It's completely different. But um, while you were doing it, did you realise that the Vril were actually a thing? Did you did you read the book about these guys? What yeah, I, I don't I don't think I read the book about Vril uh, particularly. I remember reading about shape shifting aliens and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Shape shifting lizard people. So I was kind of putting two and two together. Uh, the Hollow Earth, I'd read about that. Nazis on the Moon, I'd read about that. Uh, plus a whole bunch of other things. Um, so yeah, I was kind of I was reasonably prepared for what to expect with that. There were certain things that I wasn't sure how they were going to play out, like the dinosaurs and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> I had a fight scene with dinosaurs. No, 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 I was gonna, I was gonna say everything, everything up till there. You go. I can deal. I can deal with that. And they go right. You've got to fight barehanded two dinosaurs, and then as soon as that's over, you've got to watch some of your friends get eaten by by an alien Steve Jobs. And like, I, like literally, I was in my element watching this movie. I, I, I there should be a spoiler alert, but this isn't a spoiler alert. This is an advert. You know, anybody who's into this sort of shit will go what? Yeah. Who else? Yeah. But. Um, some of the symbology in the movie was like really got me. You know, like uh, Michelangelo's Last Supper, where they're all sitting down, and Margaret Thatcher. And were, were you around for that scene to be to be shot? Were you on set then? I think I did come on set for that for for a little bit. There was one day of shooting where the where the old president lady she had to uh, do a very big monologue, and it was really tough. She was having a really tough day. I remember. Uh, she, they end up, they end up writing, putting her dialogue in little bits and pieces across the set as she would walk wow. from one place to the other. She could find what her dialogue was because she was having a really bad day because she had an analogy to the horse. Yes, she said it was giving her a massive headache, so she took some like Adderall or something, and that made it harder for her to like focus and remember her lines. Yeah. So she was having a really bad day, so I remember that was a real tough one. Uh, a tough day for them, uh, and I saw a little bit of it. I wasn't on set that day, but I just come in and had a look. Well, when I saw that scene, and it, first of all, you said about the horse, that was Caligula. So we see that, and then Osama bin Laden's in there, and then Perp. Oh, Perp I, I went on. I've gone on Wikipedia to find out who they all were, but one of them's like the Finnish prime minister from like the like the seventies. So they 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 really like they they just shafted every single person there but you know this you know what you were saying about leaving the pieces of dialogue around right 
when 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 they were making the Godfather, the, I don't know if you know this, but Marlon Brando couldn't be bothered to learn any lines. So I don't know. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen the scene that's shot from the back of Robert Duvall's head? Have you ever seen this one? If you go on Google later, I've seen, I've seen I've seen the whole movie recently. I'm trying to remember the exact scene. Well, it, it, it's the same way. It's the same where uh, you know, like Duval is their like consigliore. He's their main man for their like their advisor. And Marlon Brando turns up, and he just doesn't bother to do the lines. So there's this great picture where he's actually got the the whole of his lines taped onto Robert Duval's <laughs> chest, and that's actually that's a thing. So just to, you know, when you make it really really big at the moment, I know you need to learn your lines and stuff. But in a while, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is going to have your your lines maybe on his forehead or something. And that'd be good, wouldn't it? It'd be good. You know, so, it's it's funny because I, I actually relate to that a lot in a, in a sense. There's a lot of the way acting works that I really don't enjoy and I don't like to work that way. And it comes back from – and it's also it shows in my martial arts where I don't really like having routines or set patterns. I'm very, like, improvisational and I prefer to have a few rules – to follow that I can improvise outside of freely. And with acting, it's very hard because you have a strict dialogue and, um, and it's very easy to start, you know, learning your lines and pre-shape things before you even get to set. And then yeah. suddenly you start doing it the way you pre-shaped it and the actor isn't, you know, it doesn't work within that main frame. It won't be natural. Suddenly you're not listening. Yeah. yeah. And I, I get, I get a lot of what, yeah, I get a lot of what he was doing in a sense because I, I think he wanted it a lot more natural. And it's, I think the like, if you look the way he does it, I mean, he looks the most natural out of everybody. Um, and I can kind of get a sense of that. And it's something that I would like to aspire to, not to be like a pain in the ass on set or anything like that, but just to have his ability to be natural and fluent even without knowing the lines and finding really creative ways, whether it's someone speaking to him. I know he used to get, I think Udo Kier was telling me, he used to get people would tell him through his ears what his dialogue was and he would yeah. just blurt it out. And they're very, it's a, it's a very interesting creative way of, of delivering your lines rather than just rehearsing them. And I think that whatever he did worked well because he was amazing. Yeah, um, yeah but, but some, some of the, uh, I know, I know I've, I've read a few times anecdotes of, you know, some of the greatest moments in his in, in cinematic history have always been literally where two guys have just improvised. I know that my, mm. I know that Michael Mann scene in Heat, Michael Mann, where it was De Niro and Pacino, and they let them just figure that out between them. You know what I mean? But um, the best one I ever remember, and there's really no dialogue in it, is Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight in the Dark Knight uh, in the Dark Knight the movie. You know when he blows yeah. up. The well, yeah. What, yeah. Well, as he's walking away, like it's a great. It easily got the Oscar for it because he was amazing anyway. But when he pressed the button on the remote control to blow up the hospital in real life, he pressed it and there was a delay, and that's why he was. That's why he was shaking the walkie-talkie, and they kept uh -huh. they kept that actually in the movie because it was like that look of why the fuck isn't this working? Actually, is yeah. that's that was Heath Ledger, not the Joker. You know what I mean? And you think about it, you go, that's a classic scene, and you would have lost it. Uh, that actually, as you were saying about the improvisational thing, that really led it'll led me into a, a well, it'll lead me into something I've always wanted to ask you, right? Because you, you're well known for don't drill, roll, and it's that whole learning techniques. And I, I personally think you've been a little bit um, 
I think I th there's been some license with what you actually would have said. So I'd like to know what you really think. Because some people say, oh, Kid Dale says you don't learn jujitsu, you just roll. And then you find out about jujitsu. And I'm thinking, you get to a black belt and spend four years, you'll have learned something in those four years. Because I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm learning stuff every day. But it's, mm -hmm. uh, is it like the salient points that you that you think that you find in jujitsu through the rolling? Uh, so, well, look, there's a, there's a few key factors that come into learning and uh, biological and psychological. Uh, the first thing is like the key in jiu-jitsu is to obtain as much information as you can possibly. And yeah. the problem with a lot of the way people learn is they don't retain very much information. They might retain 10% of the information they learn. So they end up spending, you know, 10 hours worth of time and remembering one hour worth. And a lot of that has to do with certain things. I'll give you an example. The uh, amygdala, you know what the amygdala is, the yeah. lizard brain, the fight or flight, that has a, big, um, has a big operation in how deep you obtain information. Right. So they've found that the, the higher you are, the more aroused you are emotionally, the deeper you're going to store information. For example, if you can remember any kind of emotional trauma that you've been through, you can probably remember the smell the taste yeah. you had in your mouth, the temperature, everything. Now, the problem with drilling a technique is there's no real emotional connection with that. You practice a technique a couple of times and then you're just drilling it over and over and over again. You're trying to create muscle memory. We'll get back to the muscle memory part, but there's no emotional value on it. So you're not storing it very deep. You're kind of just practicing it and it's going outside your ear, you know, through one ear and out the other. When you do specific training, and I say specific training more than just rolling because rolling does the same thing, but it's so vague. You can end up in mounted for a whole session and learn nothing. With specific training, let's say you're playing guard. It might be half guard and they're trying to pass half guard and all you've got to do is play in that area. Then what happens is you start playing and playing and then you make certain mistakes and it stresses you out or certain things work and you get super excited about it. And you yeah. start remembering this and you start learning through trial and error and you start encoding and storing information on a much deeper level. So basically, instead of storing like 10% of what you're doing, you start storing 80% of what you're doing. And it's yeah. got, an, it's got a, uh, an experiential level to it because you know through experience. So you start using a system of trial and error and problem solving to discover you know, certain solutions to whatever problem you have. So yeah. that's my, by far the best way of learning anything, in my opinion, and it's been tested in almost every single sport, every single art right now, that that is the best way to learn anything. Yeah. The problem is, like I said, jiu-jitsu is very vague, and it's very hard to be disciplined enough to work on all the areas you want because most people get excited and they get good at guillotines and they like winning, so they just try and guillotine the whole session yeah. instead of working on what they want. So one thing that I did, which was – I was very disciplined. I do that in acting as well as I'm very honest with myself in a sense of where am I good and where am I not good? Where do I need to work? And I'm very disciplined to make sure that I work on every area so that I'm very comfortable in any situation. So whether yeah. it's half guard, close guard, spider guard, passing guard, stand up, wrestling, judo, anything. I want to work on all the areas. The problem with creating muscle memory, in my opinion, is, I mean, the, the goal of muscle memory is to move and react very quickly. The problem is, is you don't need to move super quick, and especially in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you don't need to move very quick. 
You can, yeah. but you don't need to. And a, and a better guy will move a lot slower and more efficiently than what moving quick will. And there's two reasons. One, you can go real quick and scrambling. You can pass someone's guard. But can you actually remember exactly what you did to pass that? And did you obtain any kind of information to to get better or to excel at that level? Probably not because it was too quick for you to even pick up. Yeah. So by moving slower, you're going to see a lot more and you're going to read a lot more. It's almost like trying to speed read a book and then give a, you know, a, a verbal uh, talk about you know, what you read. It would be very hard because you went through it real quick rather than really reading it and imagine it. So I try and slow down what I'm doing. So the, the part with creating muscle memory to move really quick, I think is silly for one, and you use a lot of energy too. Three, you're creating habits and habits can be detected very quickly. And it's the same in poker. You don't want to create habits in, in anything you do because people will figure that out. And then when they start realizing that you raise your right eye, eyebrow every time you have the nuts, then they're going to know whenever you have that. So I want to avoid any of that. I want to be completely unpredictable. And I want to be able to predict what people are doing. And it's very easy. The more they drill, the easier I can start seeing patterns in what yeah. they're doing and in their movements. And the more I can see patterns, the more I can find little things to change to throw them off their game. So the one thing that drilling does is it makes you move very quick without reacting. So then I can start tricking people and I can start pushing buttons because I know they're going to do A, B or C whenever I do it. And I can yep. start making people make mistakes before they even realize they're doing it. And the easy part of that is when I look at a movement, I don't look at a technique. I look at the what's the body mechanics behind the movement. What is the why in that technique? You know, why yep. does that technique work? And I try and internalize the why so that I can be a lot more flexible in my approach. For example, a knee cut guard pass. I could show you a six-step knee cut guard pass, or I could tell you what you're really trying to achieve when doing it. If I show you the six-step knee cut guard pass, you're going to practice that and you're going to be able to do that one guard pass. But anytime any variable changes, you're going to have to change the guard pass. Yeah. Or I could have told you why you're doing this and allowed you to play around and start improvising and using trial and error to obtain the same goal, but you would become much more flexible with that and you would have a lot more intellectual understanding of what you're trying to do. So you can start becoming more flexible. Instead of using your right arm, I use my left arm. Instead of using my knee to block the other knee, I use my chin to block the knee. You become more creative and a lot more free and you become far less predictable. So well, there's like a couple examples. Yeah, yeah well, is it just as you're saying it, it's a very artistic way of looking, you know, from, from an artistic point of view, from a mindset of looking at it, because um, as you were saying, if you're good at one thing, you, we'll go back to where you were saying, if you're good at a guillotine, right? Um, you know, there, there's there's cases where we, we, we just have to say, right, okay, you know, it's like Roger Gracie, you know, with a mount, with a cross choke from mount, I'm sorry, but that's a thing of beauty. And every time I see it, it's slightly different but I'm, I have an idea of what I'm looking at but then when I look at artists that I really admire you know like say Michelangelo and I just go right okay now David was amazing that's a great sculpture but you know I've gone into the Sistine Chapel and I've seen that and that's amazing too and it's um, it's if it's just art then you don't really care what medium you're working in do you is that have you found that but obviously with 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 jiu-jitsu in four years you went from there to there really quickly, and then um, yeah, hopefully the same thing works with the with you know with acting. 
And is it the same principles? It sounds very like NLP based. I don't know. Have you studied neurolinguistic programming? Because it yeah. sounds yeah. exactly the same sort of the same sort of process that I try and solve problems with is what you're talking about. Yeah, that- no, it's definitely the same algorithm. The success algorithm works on everything. I think there's one thing that I have uh, an understanding of, and I know Joe Rogan used to talk about this when you know someone that's become successful in one area can always, if they can find that algorithm, they can become successful in any yeah. area. Now, there's a couple of things that I'm willing to do that not a lot of people are. And there's a few things I understand. One, there's no such thing as perfection. And I think a lot of people try to start something perfect. Uh, it could be jiu-jitsu, it could be acting, where they start and they're like, okay, I want you to show me the, the proper way to do this. And it's very hard to people, for people to understand there is no real proper way to do anything. There's multiple ways you can do anything, and every single way can be counted, and every single way can work. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot more that goes on that you, you know, other than the practical application of something that is that has super importance, and a lot of that is manipulation and timing and stuff like that. Now, the one thing I understand with anything I'm going to try and do, and I started the snowboarding uh, not long ago. My girlfriend does. She's a snow, like she snowboarded all her life, and uh, I started snowboarding, and within three sessions. From what they say, I've gotten to a place that usually takes people like about seven weeks worth of training. Mm. And there's two factors that I understand that I that I let go is one, I'm going to suck. I'm going to suck really bad. Two, I'm going to fail so much. I'm going to crash so much. And the more I can crash and the quicker I can get back on there, the more I'm going to learn, the faster I'm going to learn. It's very easy for someone to tell you, and I'm not sure if you guys have ever snowboarded, Someone, it's easy for someone to say, oh, don't get your front edge in the snow because you'll go forward. But until yeah. you dig that front edge in your snow and you go flying 10 metres forward and you hit your face, <laughs> you don't really understand what they're saying or why they're saying you do yeah. different things. So a lot of lessons and a lot of like, people will start something and I'll start jiu-jitsu and I'll start studying so much and writing down all this kind of stuff. And the true teacher in it is experience. And we're... I know that the most important thing with learning anything is how you associate the information. And the problem is when people start jiu-jitsu is they have no kind of intellectual, uh, you know, like connection to what you're teaching. So it's really hard for them to absorb that information. Most technical jargon you're going to use will go through one ear and out the other. So the problem with a lot of people is they start learning before they start doing so I start doing before I start learning, so I can have some kind of inform- like some kind of intellectual experience to associate new information with. With snowboarding, I just got on and I failed. I fell so many times, and now when they say something, I'm like, ah, that makes sense. And it's like those ah moments that I get to a lot quicker than what most people do. So in jujitsu, I just wanted to roll, and I started playing, and I didn't have any kind of, and I didn't even like people telling me what to do because I found the the fun in it was discovering it for myself. But the more experience I had through trial and error and playing around with things, the easier it was to understand lessons when people would tell me something because I would have something solid to to associate that with. Yeah. And the experts on uh, learning have said that the the declarative understanding of things, which is like in your hypercampus, is like a um, uh, a scaffolding system. I yeah. You guys know what scaffolding yeah. is. Yeah. So. The smaller your scaffold, the harder it is to learn new things because they will kind of miss. Someone yeah. will say something that won't make any sense. The bigger your scaffold, the easier it is to, to learn new information. 
So basically, what you want to do is you want to develop a feeling for something and an experience in something before you start learning stuff. And it's the yeah. same as riding a bike. I think people get on a bike in jiu-jitsu, I'm going to use this metaphorically, they get on the bike and the first thing they want to learn is how to do an endo or how to do a, a jump or how to do yeah. a which are submissions and how to do a guard pass. But they don't know how to balance. They don't know that feeling yet. They don't know how to just move to roll. Yeah. And a lot of what I teach in jiu-jitsu with beginners especially is I get them playing straight away. I give them an idea of what jiu-jitsu is intellectually, you know, what are the goals in jiu-jitsu, and then we'll start in a small area of it. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to start in my guard. Now, what you want to do is you want to get past these legs and you want to get to side control, mount, or take my back, for example. I know that you don't know how to do this, and it doesn't matter. There's a million ways to do it. There's no right or wrong way. I just want you to start playing around and trying. And at yeah. first, they'll be very tentative because they, they want to know, tell me what to do. And it's like, no, just try. So you make them feel comfortable at first. And then they start trying to play around. And you watch their eyes start lighting up when they throw your legs out of the way and they almost pass. And they're having so much fun and they're breathing so much. Yeah. And, then, and then you start, like, giving them small lessons. And then now they've already got information to associate that with. Because you say, look, the way you did this was great. But you see, it was hard for you to pass because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't yeah. attach yourself to my body. And they start learning so much faster than what yeah. they would if they just jumped into a class learning three techniques at the start, then did some, you know, sparring or whatnot. Yeah, so, the, the embracing failure is something that uh, I, I've, I've used for years in martial arts. I always say I'm not, I'm not good at martial arts. What I've done is I've run out of ways of sucking at martial arts. Like I've, I've done, I've done, I, 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 trust me, no one's failed more than me. And the only thing that I am good at is showing up. That's the only, like, I'm good at showing up and I'm good at just going, yeah, this is, this is crap. So jujitsu wise, uh, like, you know, obviously it's exploding now. It's this global phenomenon, right? So when you first got into it, did you think it was going to be, because when you got in. You guys be, there? It's frozen for the moment. All right. What's going here? All right, back now. All right. Cool. Was it? Was it? Did you have an idea it was going to be as big as it's? Well, it, I don't. I, I still don't think it's got as big as it can do because it's still what it's still going to that demographic of sixteen to thirty-four year old male and angry women at the moment. Apologies to the women who are doing jujitsu, but there's quite a few angry ladies doing it. But I'm only joking. Will's crying there. Sorry, man. But you. But once we really get kids in, involved into it, and then you know, like. You know, I mean, like white collar, really professional guys, because they're starting to get into it now. But it's it, it's still we still haven't scratched the surface. I don't think personally. Did you think it was going to be this big? No, nah, not at all. I didn't even like. I mean, the reason I got into it was because I liked MMA, and I was I was playing Australian rules football, and I was getting beaten up by some of the big bigger guys. So I wanted to learn how to fight and protect myself and become confident. That's the only reason I I got into I went to an MMA school. There was more, it was more a Jeet Kune Do school that did a little bit of jiu-jitsu, and then I really enjoyed the jiu-jitsu part of it. And I accidentally stumbled into that and I, one time, and I remember thinking, like, oh, man, I could do this. It looks like fun. Uh, so at the time, it was quite, and it was 2008, it was quite fresh, especially in Australia. Yeah. And I had no idea it was going to blow up like it was at all. Yeah. I, mean, I think my first goal in jiu-jitsu was like, okay, maybe I can get a school in 10 years and make enough money to do that as a job instead of doing what I was doing as a job. And what were you doing as a job? I think when I, back then I was working in a factory or maybe I was plastering. I did like every... Really? That's my job you can figure out. That's my job. What were you... 
plaster. It's the trade of kings, man. Trust me, we make the world a more beautiful place. One wall at a time. I'm always yeah. looking at cornicing now and stuff. And I'm looking at <laughs> judgmental and shit. <laughs> hey, I knew there was something I liked about you, man. Um, man but, my brother's a plasterer. My uncle's a plasterer. My cousin's a plasterer. My two it, wrestling coaches were plasterers. Is it, do you think that's where the chimp strength comes from? Because that the upper body strength is, is where it Definitely helped. Yeah, definitely it, helped. I'll tell you that much. It's fucking holding, fucking, literally no, doing no, ceiling no, and shit, six-meter ceiling. Oh, yeah. Just dive in with a quick one: Is how do you choreograph brawling, sprawling, and uh, suplexing the the Nazi dinosaurs? Was it <clears throat> was it all rubber monsters, or was it blokes in green suits? And how do you act into that as well? Because you had to fight and act. We had some really good stunt guys, and I, the name's gone out of my head. One of them was like Van Dam's main stunt partner for a while, and he was he was amazing. I just can't remember his name, and we kind of just blocked out what we thought was going to happen with the um, the guy that was going to do the special effects and stuff like that. And we just kind of come up with some ideas and choreograph some fight scenes. It, it was quite tough because we knew, one, no one's going to be there when I do it. And two, I have to like work within a certain rules if there was a dinosaur. So I, I had to get an idea, okay, what, the, what does this dinosaur look like? What kind of, what kind of dinosaur is it? How big is it? How thick is it? How strong is it? And we kind of just come up with a few ideas. So, and then we, at start, we used um, the uh, stunt guys to, to work with me as if they were the dinosaurs. And then I just had to keep repeating the sequence as if there was no dinosaurs. Right. Uh, sorry, is it, sorry, without the stunt guys, as if there was dinosaurs. And the, the tough part of that was when we shot the, especially the dinosaur scene where the two dinosaurs attacked me, the guy that was filming that was filming that on a steady cam, and he was doing a, a 360 around me as I was going. Yeah. So we also had to make sure that whatever I did matched up with the camera angle as well. And as he went around me, he would step onto a crane, and then the crane would pick him up, and then he would end up going over the top of me. And we were very lucky. We did it in three takes, uh, and we just got you know we got it very lucky, and it, and it worked very well. Uh, but it was very difficult, and with the with the scenes with the Vrilya, like I wanted to add a bit more jujitsu, but it was quite hard with the suits, with the makeup yeah. and all that kind of stuff to do that. So we kind of we went more with like kind of wrestling style takedowns and stuff like that, yeah. like the old WWE and stuff like nice. that. Nice. Uh, which works well. And I think it might big and dramatic. At that stage. Yeah. So well, what, it was big and dramatic. WWE. Yeah. Okay, okay, here's the last question I've got to ask you, right? Do you really like your men big and hairy? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> what did I'll you, you think when, when they gave you that well, line? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, like, I wasn't sure how to take it at first. Uh, but the, the, funny th the funny part of that filming is I had to slap that guy's ass about 76 times, I think. Wow. They wanted to me. I thought, I'm like, are they taking the piss out of me or what? Like, I kept slapping this. But, these ass were being red. Do you, know, do, you know what I, do you know what I was really impressed with, right? You know, like, in every Mel Gibson movie, he's always like a messianic figure, isn't he? You know, so like Martin Riggs, he's like Jesus. That like Every movie that, 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 that Mel Gibson does, he's always Jesus or something like it, right? And you upstaged him because you were a right badass fighting dinosaurs, going to the hollow earth, 
and you almost got taken out by a wheat allergy in peanuts, right? And then at the last minute, you came out, and I swear to God, I thought I thought it was Lethal Weapon Five, man. I thought you were Mel Gibson. I thought Martin Riggs had come back. Uh, what was that like back at the end? So last part. What was it like coming back at the end, knowing that you were going to get in there, and you didn't die? Well, I was glad I was coming back, uh, oh. but that was a difficult scene to do because they had to really lock me into that coffin, and. Um, it was quite hard because every time I would explode out, I would try and find out where the hell am I, who, who am I speaking to. It was, it was fun, though. But if I had a, a bad day of claustrophobia, that would have been really tough because they had to screw me into that thing and then I would have to explode out. No, good, man. Well, do you know what? I wish you all the best. It's, great. it's been great chatting to you. Final question. Final question. I've got one last, one last question. Is uh, part two, Soviet Mars, are you possibly going to be in it? Do you think you might be or is it? it's definitely possible I, I spoke to the directors and the writers about that and I, I think they're very happy with the chemistry of the three uh, of me, Vladimir and um, sorry me uh, oh my god I forgot his, his character's name Sasha and me, the Russian. Sasha that's it me, Sasha and um, Obi-Wan it's been four years since I filmed that <laughs> don't worry man uh, they were happy with uh, the way that went so I know they're, they're very interested in doing another one. Whether they do it or not, I have no idea. Uh, I do hope they do it because, remember, this was we filmed this nearly five years ago. It was the first movie I've ever done. And I feel like, to me, it was like I was a, a white belt and four stripes back then. Now I feel like I'm like a purple belt. So I, I would love to do another one like that with what I know now. I think I would do a much better job. And I think the accent will be a, a lot better as well. But uh, I hope they do it because it was fun. Uh, I think there's definitely a possibility, depending on how this one goes, really. Right. This is the final question. What's this I hear that you're going to be in the Mortal Kombat movie? Well, listen, I'm glad you said that. I do have a meeting with casting this week um, to, to discuss that. And that popped up when I found out they were doing that, especially in Adelaide. Uh, I feel like it's a very good opportunity for me because... One, I'm a martial artist. Two, I look very similar to one of the main characters, but I could play a multitude of characters. And I've loved Mortal Kombat since I was a kid. I grew up playing Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, and stuff like that. And I think I would do a play a very good Kano role. Yeah. Uh, but I've got a meeting with them, and it was very lucky because I have a lot of people, a lot of really cool friends online that know people that got me, uh, you know, they highly recommended me to it. So I speak to the lady from Adelaide, the casting, uh, probably Wednesday. And basically, I'm going to tell them why they should put me in there <laughs> and what I could contribute to the movie. And I, I think it would be a very good, like, an amazing opportunity for me, and I think I could do a very good job on that. So I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope that it happens. If not, it'll eventually happen however it happens, but, you know, what can you do? Cool. We, we wish you the best in that, because that would be fantastic if you are. Be yeah. Thank well, you, mate. Thank you very much, Thank you. Bye-bye. No, no worries at all, man. Thanks for this, guys. It was fun. No worries. Adios. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.